You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington, and we have services meeting each week at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. You can also join us online live at our 11 a.m. service each Sunday. If you'd like to know more about Axe Church Northwest, you can go to axechurchnw.org. Now enjoy the sermon. What does it mean when we say Merry Christmas? <clears throat> say two people are walking through the mall, because that's where you go in Christmas time, right? And you recognize, a person recognizes somebody they know, an acquaintance or whatever, and they say, hey, Merry Christmas. And the person sees them and says, oh, Merry Christmas to you too. What do they mean? What do you mean when you say it? Because we say it a lot around this time of year. People even will get angry at the clerk of their favorite store if they only say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. It's something that people say a lot. But what do we mean and why do we say it? The easy answer is that we mean this is the time we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that's true. But the birth of Jesus is something more exciting and more joyful and invigorating than we can possibly imagine. The implications of the birth of Jesus are enormous. Emmanuel, God with us. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. It is beyond our most hopeful hoping. Let's read the Bible today. You guys have them in the chairs in front of you if you want to use a paper Bible. Um, If not, you can use your phone. It'll be on the screen, however you want to do it. If you don't have a Bible at home, those Bibles in the back of the chairs, take one of those with you. That's yours. That's our gift to you. You don't need to pay for it. You don't need to do anything. That is our gift so that you will have a Bible that you can read, and we hope that you will do that. We're going to get to John chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's the fourth gospel, if you want to turn there. Now I'm going to start with the first five verses. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Listen to what the Word of God says about the only begotten Son of God. Here, John refers to the Son as the Word. The Word. The Greek word here is the word logos, or logos, or however you want to say it. It's all Greek to me. That works every time, every time I say <clears throat> Jesus is the ultimate reality. Now, to the Greek philosophers of John's day, they would have been uh, shocked. It would have been a revelation for them that would have been almost impossible to believe because to them, the Logos was the ultimate reality. It was this impersonal force right? This force that like made the world and sort of kept the world going, but there was nothing, it wasn't a person, there was nothing personal about that force. We see this in the beliefs of many, many people today, particularly in this country, in this part of the country. A lot of spirit, I, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. 
right? You see that a lot. I'm not making fun of anybody. They just, that's the way they actually talk. Um, I am making fun of them a little bit. But here's the thing. There's a lot of people who say that, right? Or they say that, you know, there's a life force, right? Or if they want to get a little more personal, they'll say a love force, something like that. And they, they sort of worship it. And it's, it's when they drive through the mountains that they sense this and this type of thing. And it's just kind of this spiritual thing. Well, of course, for the Greek philosophers, that was closer because to them, there was this impersonal force, the word, the logos that was out there. Sort of the thing at the, at the back of everything, the ultimate reality. But the Holy Spirit inspiring John destroys all of that right here in this little passage. All of that nonsense is destroyed. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John can only be referencing God, the one and only true God, because John is a Jew. So when he says God, he doesn't mean what sort of Greek folks at the time would have meant sort of these demigods, sort of these, uh, you know, you've heard the stories, you've seen the movies, whatever, about sort of these Greek gods. That's not what he meant. And anyone reading this knew that's not what he meant because John was Jewish. So when he says, in the beginning, the son, the word was, that means already at the beginning of everything, he already existed. He's eternal. He was with God and he was God. He meant that the eternal, personal God, because John was a Jew, that made the world and the sun and the stars and everything else that is, was the Word, the Son of God. What you, Greek philosophers and people of the time, are calling the Logos, or the Word, I am telling you, is the Son of God. He is the ultimate reality. God is the ultimate reality. And he meant a God we could have a relationship with. A God who would have a relationship with us, that we could know him and be known by him. He meant a completely personal God. And you have to understand that to a lot of people, that's a revelation, a shocking revelation. It's much easier if God is kind of out there and not really personal. And here we find that the Son is God, as the Father and the Holy Spirit are God, one personal God in three persons. And it says, we find that the son was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. There is nothing that exists that has been created ever that was not made through the son of God. Nothing. Nothing. Now that sets us up to understand who the son is. He is God from eternity to eternity, everlasting at all times. Everything you have ever seen that has been created is the result of the creation of God through the Son. My wife and I are planning the trip, actually with Buff and Sherry over here, to go to a place called White Pocket. And it's out in the middle of nowhere, uh, the Arizona and Utah, Arizona and Utah borders, right? And it's, you got to like pack stuff and you take a truck four by four and you go in there and all that kind of stuff and you can get stuck and whatever. And because I'm such a man's man, four by four guy, you will probably never see me again because I'm going to get stuck back in there. That's why I'm bringing buff. Um, in any case, because he's more kind of man's man than me. So, um, but the, what, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, because we're going to do an overnight trip 
is that when we're there at night, that we'll look into the sky and there's no cities around, there's not all this ambient light and whatever, and you get to see the stars. And if you've been to a place where you don't, you're outside of the city, you're outside of all the kind of light pollution, and you look at the stars, it is something. It is something to see the glory of God, the vastness of the universe, and to know all of that happened. Everything from that down to the smallest atom on this earth was created through the Son of God. Through the Son of God. Now, I myself cannot color a coloring book without going outside the lines. Never have been able to when I was in school, when I had kids. I'm just not that good. And yet God has created through his son the most amazing things that we have ever imagined. And we're just looking at the broken version. The passage goes on to say, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not comprehend it could not overcome it. Life is in the Son. The Son has life in him. There is no life without the Son of God. No life without the Son of God. He has it in him. And that life is the light of men, of people, all people. No one has life without the Son of God. This is important. No matter who you are, no matter what you believe. You don't even believe there's a God. You believe in science. Like that's a thing. To believe it. You believe in whatever, okay? Doesn't matter. You are alive because the Son has life in Him. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Every breath you take, He holds everything in existence, including you. You are only here now breathing and experiencing the good things that you do experience because of God and because the Son of God has life in Him. You only have life because he has life in him. And that life is the light that the darkness cannot comprehend. It cannot overcome. It pours in. But here's the thing. Man loves darkness. Man loves darkness. Listen to the next part. I'm going to go from where we just were. Um, We're going to start at verse 6 and go through the 14th verse, John 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. It can be confusing because this is the gospel of John. Not talking about himself, talking about John the Baptist. His name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is big. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is so much in this passage that we could go through. But I want to focus on a couple of things. First of all, the sun came as the true light. The true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The true light. He was in the world, not outside, not far away, but in the world, the world that was made through him, that he was outside of, he came into the world, and the world didn't know him. He was rejected. Rejected by his own. 
But some received him. Some received him. Some believed in him. And to them he gave the right to become children of God. That is amazing. Verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, the Son of God, became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. The God through whom all that has ever been created was created became a man. He is still completely God, but he became completely man as well. The God-man. The concept is beyond our grasp. It's just beyond our grasp. We know what it means to be human. We know what it means to live in a fallen world. And we struggle, most of us, with the difficulty of just, say, giving our 10% tithe or helping the neighbor who's in need or whatever, giving up kind of anything of our own, we kind of struggle with that a lot. And yet here's God, perfect, perfect creator, and he becomes a man. Imagine that the richest king in all the world, trillions, billions and billions and trillions and Brazilians of dollars, palaces, boats, whatever it is that you all are thinking in your mind. Yeah, I'd buy this. He's got all that. He's got all that stuff. Perfect health. Everything's all good. And trades his place with the lowest, poorest person, unhealthy, living in the gutter with nothing. That doesn't happen. He might throw some money to that guy. But trading places with him? And that's nothing. That's nothing in comparison to what the Son of God did when he became man, his own creation, who didn't even love him. We only love him because he first loved us. When, the, when Jesus asks the rich young ruler to sell everything that he had and follow Jesus, he was not asking him to do even close to what Jesus had already done for him in giving up everything to be with us. But humans love darkness. John 3, 16 through 21. You'll know the first verse very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Men love darkness. Christ comes, he's the light, he's offering salvation, and men love darkness. How can this be? God, the only hope for humanity in our fallen and dark state, literally, Not figuratively. This is not some sort of story that was made up. He literally, bodily becomes a man to save us. And we want darkness so we can do what? Whatever we want. Whatever we want. This is why life forces and generalized spiritualism are so popular. Because they demand nothing. 
They demand nothing. If you're just spiritual, if you just believe that there's an impersonal life force, then who cares what you do? You don't define your life by what God says he's defined you to be, made in his image and likeness with a purpose and a plan. You define your life by whatever darkness you want to do with your broken spirit and your dark soul. That's the fact. That's why those religions are popular. They demand nothing. When the light of the world is shined, some still hide in darkness. Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. The light. He's shown it to them. They've suppressed it in unrighteousness. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. The true light of Christmas shined and there are those who pushed it away and hid in darkness. And there are those who still do. Jesus Christ, the real light of Christmas, may be beautiful, but he's a piercing light. He's an exacting light. He shows us who we are and why we so desperately need him. We so desperately need his light. And not everyone wants that. Some avoid the light because it threatens to kill their darkness. Because make no mistake, God demands holiness. Perfection. Holiness. Perfection. Think about that. None of us have achieved that. None of us have achieved that. So if Jesus Christ came only to bring light to show our darkness and our brokenness and our lack of holiness, but to offer no help, then I understand why we'd run. Because the light would reveal our true state, that we deserve death. Of course, if he did that, he wouldn't need to be born of a virgin and live as the God-man in this world. He could have just shown us because he was going to offer no help. But he didn't do that. He came to be with us to bring us the hope and comfort of forgiveness of sins. He came to the world to save you and me. He didn't bring the light to just show us and then give us nothing. He gave himself that once we saw what we were, that we could have him and replace all that darkness with his light. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He purged our sins. He cleansed us. I don't, I don't know if we just lose that sometimes. We walk around and, and, we, and we get frustrated by things, and I do too, and like circumstances can be rough. 
Life could be difficult, right? He cleansed us. He cleansed us. He had to do it. He was the only one who could do it. And he did it for those who trust him. We simply call on his name and we can be saved. What amazing news. If you ever had not had the money to pay a bill, I don't know how many of you have been there. I've definitely been there. Um, maybe even the lights get turned off, you know, or the water gets turned off or something like that. And somehow money came through and you got the bill paid. You're relieved probably, maybe even joyful, right? If you were, imagine yourself on death row. You're in prison, you're on death row. That, that night's coming, it's gonna go down. And at the end, you get a pardon. And your life is saved. I think you would be relieved and joyful, maybe even thankful. Maybe. But those can't even be seriously compared to this, to what Christ has done. Because I'll tell you, I would suffer a thousand physical deaths. Infinity. If it meant that I would not be separated from my creator and my king. This life is nothing. Nothing. I count it as nothing in comparison to knowing God. Nothing. Jesus Christ died and rose again to bring life and to bring life more abundantly. Real life. The life that's in Christ. Real life. Not just a longer life in this fallen world. In fact, if you choose to follow Christ, you may not have a very long life. Many Christians have found that out. There's persecution. There's difficulties. There's trials. You'll suffer. You'll be rejected by men and women who love the darkness and curse the light. Because they curse the Son of God. And if you follow him, you might deal with that. It's not about making this life more comfortable or longer or to be, have more money or to have any of that kind of thing. That's nothing. Listen, you will have everlasting life, eternal life, life without end, and you get Jesus Christ. You get Jesus. You get God. You get to be with him in fullness, not in the fallen world, because he is going to make all things new, and you can be with him face to face forever. That's what's being offered because of what happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Without it, we don't have it. This is the miraculous, amazing thing that happened when God became a man and dwelt with us. And he has not left us. He has not left us. It may feel sometimes like he has, but he is very clear that he has not left us. We have his Holy Spirit with us and in us. Listen to this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You've heard this many times if you've been around much. It's on the wall back there. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We have eternal comfort from right now until forever because of Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, because he was born of a virgin, died rose again and is always with us and is coming again. This is what we should mean when we as Christ followers say Merry Christmas. All of that that I just said, all of that that we just studied, all of that that I just preached, that's all wrapped up when I say, or what's what we should mean when we say Merry Christmas. 
Jesus, born of a virgin with us, lived perfect life, died, rose again, and is coming back to judge the world. That's what I mean when I say Merry Christmas. All of that, the whole gospel, the whole truth. But that's not what the world means. It's not what culture means when they say Merry Christmas. What does it mean when they say, what does it mean when Macy's or Starbucks is saying Merry Christmas? Christmas has been co-opted and distorted to mean something very different than what we just heard and what I just preached. An article by humanism.org.uk described a survey by YouGov commissioned by the British Humanist Association. This is from December of 2016. A bunch of people in Britain are asked this question, okay? What makes Christmas an important time of the year? That's the question they're asked. They gave them 12 possible choices, plus they gave them other, which 2% of them said other, and nobody said don't know. That was an option. Not applicable, 2% said that. So I'm just going to give you the 12% that weren't those, okay? The 12 questions that weren't those. 12 possibilities. They could, they could click as many as they wanted. What makes Christmas an important time of the year. Check all that apply. The lowest two, the lowest two ranked answers of the 12 were celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ and attending a religious service or services. The lowest. I will read you the highest, starting from highest to lowest. Spending time with family, 76%. Giving presents to friends and family, 63%. Eating Christmas food or drinking Christmas drinks, 57%. Putting up Christmas lights and decorations, 48%. Being cozy indoors during the cold Christmas weather, 46%. Upholding family Christmas traditions, 40%. Receiving presents from friends or family, 39%. Spending time with friends, 38%. Watching Christmas television, 36%. Having time off work to relax, 32%. And then the lowest two, as I said, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, 22%. Attending a religious service or services, 15%. Being cozy indoors during the cold weather was more than twice as likely to be chosen as celebrating the birth of Jesus. It was more than three times as likely to be chosen than attending a religious service or services. But I'm guessing a lot of these Brits go around saying Merry Christmas, or actually the British say Happy Christmas because, you know, British, whatever. I don't know why, but that's what they say. So what do they mean? Apparently, they don't mean what I just preached a minute ago. Apparently, they mean something else. They mean, I hope you enjoy some time off to spend time with family and friends and give some gifts and be comfy in the cold weather. That's what they mean. But that's not what it means. I've done a lot of taking words and making them mean different things. A lot of that. It's a classic tool of a deceiver classic tool of a deceiver is to say, well, that's not what I meant when I said that. But it has a meaning. See, this is what it means. No, that's not what we mean when we say it. Of course, the enemy will work that way. It's not what they mean. And there's nothing wrong with those things that, that were listed, by the way. In fact, I would say all those can be good things. But they are not the meaning of Christmas. When a Christ follower says Merry Christmas, he or she is saying this. Jesus came to save us. Jesus is Lord. You should confess and repent and follow him because he's coming back to judge the world. That's what you should mean when you say Merry Christmas. Nothing less. Nothing less. That's what we should mean. And, and listen, if we won't say that, if we won't mean that, if we won't live that, those things with people, then maybe we shouldn't be saying Merry Christmas either. 
Because that's what it means. That's what it means. It's not some holiday movie about Grinches whose hearts grow three times larger. (laughs) That's all fine and good. People should have big hearts. That's great. It's not even about giving charity to those in need, which is a command for every Christ follower that we should take care of those who are in need. Jesus is very specific about that. In fact, those who don't do that, he says he doesn't know them. So that's important. But that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the reason we give charity. It's about the reason we have big hearts or help people or give gifts or spend time with families or have families at all. The reason for that, Christmas is about God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ coming to save the world because without that, all of that other stuff is meaningless. Who cares? Listen, if Jesus is not God, was not born of a virgin, did not come to the world, did not die, did not rise again, and is not coming back. We are wasting our time here. You could be at a home drinking eggnog and enjoying the comfy whatever, cold weather, whatever it is. You could be doing that instead of listening to some guy. This is all nonsense if that stuff isn't true, and if that stuff isn't true, that other stuff is meaningless. One or the other is true. Christmas is about truth. Without that truth, all of those things, they have no meaning. Who cares? We help the poor because of Jesus Christ. We love our family and friends because of Jesus Christ. We have gifts and breath in our lungs because of Jesus Christ. Not for any other reason. And to pretend like it's for any other reason is to love darkness rather than light. How often do we say to our friends and neighbors and acquaintances, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Repent and turn to Jesus. How often do we say it? Jesus is coming back to judge. You don't want to be in that situation. Are we willing to say that? Because if we're not willing to say that, why do we say Merry Christmas? Because it means the same thing. It means the same thing. And people should know that's what we mean when we say Merry Christmas. Because listen to this. The words Merry Christmas in this culture are easier to say because they can be interpreted by the person that you say them to as I hope you enjoy giving and getting gifts and eating turkey. They can think that's what you mean, so it's easier to say Merry Christmas, but if we say and that's the way they take it, we're not doing a good job of communicating who we are and what the truth is. We're going to be very careful about that. If we don't have the courage to evangelize for the true gospel, how will we be salt and light to the world? If Merry Christmas can't mean the powerful thing that it does mean, how are we going to be salt and light to the world? And listen, I've had to change my mind on this one. There was a time when kind of the Christmas war started and I was like, yeah, they should be saying Merry Christmas. I don't like this happy holiday stuff. And I was like that. But here's the thing. We need to stop asking Starbucks and Home Depot to say Merry Christmas. You know why? Because Merry Christmas is taking the Lord's name in vain when somebody uses it who does not believe in Jesus Christ. It is taking the Lord's name in vain when someone uses it to sell you something. Because they say it based on polls. If enough people say they think they should say it, they'll say that. If enough people think they should say, they'll say that. Because at the end of the day, they're just trying to make money off of you. We don't want Christ's name in their mouth when they don't understand who he is or what Christmas means. We need to stop asking for the world to act like it's something that it's not, that it does not understand. 
We need to stop fighting to make every aspect of every corporation and government and whatever Christian in this nation and instead start fighting to make our neighbors Christians. Christianity is multiplication. If your neighbors and your friends and your family understand Merry Christmas, understand the gospel, understand what it means, and come to know Jesus, then they will go and speak to their friends and family and neighbors, and they'll understand the gospel, and they'll come to Jesus, and then when we say Merry Christmas in our culture, it can actually mean something. But it doesn't mean what it used to mean, and we need to be careful and take it back. They don't get to have Christmas. It's not theirs. It's not theirs. And we don't do what we ought to do when we go around saying Merry Christmas to everyone and not telling them what it means because the meaning has been lost. We were never asked to go and demand Christianity from the world. We were asked to be salt and light in the world that the Holy Spirit might draw people to himself through us. Which means we have to be really clear about what we mean when we say Merry Christmas. The world is coming to judgment and to nothing. That's what's happening. It should break your heart. And their view of Christmas is evidence of their brokenness. The fact that they don't see through it, that they see it as these other things which are good things, but not the thing. That's the most dangerous kind of lie. It's evidence of their brokenness. And their only hope, their only hope, listen, is a baby born in Bethlehem 2,000 plus years ago. It is my only hope. It is your only hope. It is their only hope. Not to enjoy a nice Christmas season where our heart grows three times bigger and we have lots of cookies. That is just a, a benefit of the only hope that God gives good things to us, that he still cares for us. Why he should, I could never explain, at least for myself. But he does. And we have him. Merry Christmas is a cry for joy and an invitation. It's a begging, it's a longing, it's a plea from the bottom of our hearts, from everything that we are, that our friends and our families and our sisters and our brothers and our children would come to know Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's what we should mean when we say Merry Christmas. Know Jesus. We want them to look to Jesus Christ as Lord. It is an ugly thing when the Lord's name is used in vain. And that is exactly what Merry Christmas is in the mouth of an unbeliever. For the unbeliever, the incarnation is not life. It's death. It's judgment. It's not grace to them because they won't receive that. And because they refuse to recognize Jesus as Lord by love, they will be forced to bow before him as king. We don't want that. We want his love to them to draw their love for him. This is a battle. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's not a battle against Starbucks and Macy's. It's a battle against spiritual darkness. If people deny Christ, then they deny Christmas and ought not to celebrate it. If they deny scripture, they deny Christmas. Christmas is no more part of the life of an unbeliever then godlessness should be a part of our lives. What do we have to do with them? We're separate, called out, set apart by Christ, for Christ. Listen, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For which fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What, what do we have to do with them? And what do they have to do with Christ and Christmas? Nothing. And they should know that. We should make it clear. Make the unbeliever who is dead in his sins recognize that he does not know anything about Christmas if he does not know Jesus Christ. That's what it means to know Christmas, to know Jesus Christ. The hope and joy of glory is something they do not understand. And they have replaced it with things that are good, but not the real thing. Of course, if the world tries to celebrate Christmas, they'll turn it into something else. They'll make a mockery of Christ. Of course they will. They don't believe in him. They haven't received him. We've got to stop with any weak versions of Christianity. That has to stop. Cultural Christianity, civic Christianity, that's got to stop. Because it makes people believe that they can sort of be involved when they have nothing to do with Jesus. This is our time that we celebrate something that is the most meaningful thing to us in the world. Jesus, born of his God's favored, highly favored servant Mary, a virgin living perfectly, dying for us, rising again and coming again. That's all wrapped up in this time. Santa's got nothing to do with it. God is God, and he means to save those who love him and follow him and honor him as God. He wants all people. He wants that all people would come to him. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, he has been so patient, 2,000 years patient as we walked around wanting to be in darkness. He's been so patient. Come and know me, and the time is short. Some of you have been taking the end times class. That's great. If you haven't, you can catch all that on the app. For those of you who have, you know. The time is short. He's not going to wait forever. He is going to come back and judge the world. And if we let Christmas be just this thing, just this cultural thing, instead of what it really is, a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We need to bring back real Christmas by real Christians speaking truth and being salt and light as Jesus commanded us to. That's what we need to do. No more cultural Christianity. world cannot have this Christmas season for itself. It's not its. It does not belong to the world. It can't be turned into something that it isn't and it never was. We have reason to rejoice beyond what we can imagine. So use Christmas as a time to speak truth. Christmas for the believer should be a time of evangelism and truth speaking. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. There's not much time to redeem now. 
We have got to be busy. We can't play games. Preach the gospel. This Christmas and as many Christmases as God gives us before we go to be with him or he comes back to return for all of us. Use Christmas every day of the year as a time to preach the gospel. It is beautiful that we are saved. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, that you came to save us is beyond what we can imagine. Who are we? Who are we? Who am I that you would save me? And yet you gave up so much to come into your own creation. All these things that you created that should have given you honor and glory and instead like darkness rather than light and went after ourselves and were rebellious and yet you came down and said, I will do it. I will take on myself the payment and the penalty and you lived a life of perfection even having to go through all the things that we go through, you know, you understand us. We can have comfort and there's nothing we have faced that you have not faced, Jesus. And without sin, Jesus, that you died for us willingly for the hope that was set before you, for the joy that was set before you, despising the shame. And that now we can be saved. God, I pray that every person in this room is And if they're not, that they would fall before you in humility and understand Christmas. For those that are online or that will ever watch this, Lord, if they don't know you, draw them to yourself. It's only your work that can do that, Lord. But let this church be light. Jesus, shine your light. Let us be salt and light to the world. That the true light of Christmas might dominate. God, bring our children our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our extended families, our co-workers, anyone within the light that you shine through us, bring them to you. Let us see it. Let us see new life, a revival, a vival, new life. Because we know that you're coming soon, Lord. You have been so patient, and thank you, God, that you are patient enough to wait for me, a sinner, a rebellious, wicked man that you saved. God, thank you. I want you. I love you. I thank you, Lord, for this message, for your word, for these people. Be with us this week. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope the Lord blessed you through it. We'd like to invite you to join us on one of our Sunday morning services at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Whether you would just like to find out some more info about Axe Church, or if you'd like to plug in and take some next steps in your faith, axechurchnw.org is a great place to start. You can also email us at info at There's always more content coming, whether it's on YouTube or on our podcast channel. So be sure to subscribe to both of those to always get the newest content from Axe Church. Until next time, we hope you have a blessed week.